Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Uh, this week you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13 if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 13 is where we're going to be. We're actually going to be spending more time in 1 Samuel chapter 14, but we're going to read the last half of 13. So if we start there, we'll end up together. Uh, this week we're transitioning into our summer speaking series. And over the next couple of weeks we're going to have a number of different people speaking and sharing from, from the pulpit. Uh, this week... Um, Yvonne and the kids and I, um, we're going to be on holidays. We're so grateful for the opportunity that the church affords us, that you afford us as our church and our church family to be able to take a couple of weeks away on holidays. And so we're, we're going to be, won't be around for the, for the next three, three Sundays. But I, I want to make something very, very clear for you, because I think this is important for, for you to understand as, as the congregation and for me to express to you as the pastor of the church. Um, we are not and we do not go on holidays from you. Um, when we go on holidays, we do not go on holidays from you. I, I need a break. A couple weeks ago, we, we preached about rest, and we preached about the importance of taking rest for ourselves and the importance and the priority that God places on that. And so I need to practice what I preach, and I need to do that, and, and I need to, to have a rest. But I don't need a rest from you. Um, I like you. I, I love you. You are my friends. And you don't go on holidays from your friends. That, that somehow when you go on holidays, that, oh, I don't, I, my goal is to not talk to any of my friends for the next three weeks. That, that's not what you do when you go on holidays. In fact, you probably think, I've got more time to spend with friends now because I don't have to do other things. And so that's my heart for, for you as my friends, as my family, is, is that while for the next couple weeks we may not be here on a Sunday morning, don't think for a moment that, oh, well, Pastor Brad's on holidays. He doesn't want to hear from me. No, I do. I want to hear from you. In fact, I've got more time to hear from you while, while I'm on holidays. I, don't, I, don't, I do not get paid to, to love you, and I do not get paid to care about you. I do that for free because I do. Because I actually feel those things. I actually appreciate you. And so even as we're away on holidays, I, I want you to know that we're not away on holidays from you. We're going to go to Saskatchewan for a few days to visit Yvonne's parents. Um, and, and, but other than that, we'll be around and we'd like to see you and we'd like to be with you. And so know that. Know that even though we may not be here on a Sunday morning, it's not because we don't love you. It's because I just need a break from all of the stuff that goes into making this happen. But I don't need a break from you. Next week, uh, Pastor Matt will be sharing with you. Pastor Matt's going to share with us next week. And then after that, Maria Keibel is going to share with us on the 17th. And then on the 24th, a friend from, from Cornerstone Church in Calgary, John Fleck, he's going to share with us. And then the last Sunday of this month, on the 31st, Shannon Liu is going to be sharing with us. And so we've got lots of different people who are to be sharing with us and all of these folks are wonderful and I'm, I'm so sure that we're going to be so very blessed to hear what they have to say to us. You should be excited to hear from them. Even if you don't know, even if you don't recognize some of those names or, or know those names, you know, oh, it's just people from the congregation. Oh, I don't, okay. Um, you should be excited to hear from them. They're good, godly people with really wonderful things to say and they're not me. So if, if nothing else, that should, oh, finally, we get to hear from somebody else that, that you know, they're, they're going to have some wonderful things to share with us. But for today, you have me. Today, you have me again. And I want to, to talk to you this morning about something that is going to, for every single one of us, 
matter in our walk with the Lord. Um, it's actually something that I pray for my kids every single night. That when I pray for my kids, um, we usually, the first half of the prayer is kind of praying through whatever happened and whatever's going to happen and all of those kinds of things, what happened today, what's going to happen tomorrow. And then the last half of the prayer when I pray for them at night is I pray a blessing over them. And I pray the same thing over each one of my kids when I pray for them every night. But part of, part of what I pray is that I pray that, that every night that my kids would be wise, that God would keep them pure, that they would continue to learn to hear God's voice in their lives, and lastly, that they would always have the courage to follow Jesus. And I believe that, that courage is at the heart of our walk with God, that as we walk out our relationship with God, as we live inside the world, and we live inside this tension of what it means to live in the world, but not of the world, and as we live in, in trying to understand how to walk out our faith, and, and should I say something, should, should I tell them about Jesus, should I, should I stand up and pray, should I, should I pray over my lunch in the lunchroom, should I do whatever it may be, as we endeavor to figure out how to walk out our walk with the Lord, so much of the decisions we make ultimately, in my mind at least, come down to the courage that we're willing to live with. That when we choose to compromise, that when we choose to, to, to take a step back from, well, I know God wants me to do this, but I'm just not sure if that's for me. That, that on a fundamental level, when I pray for my kids to have the courage to follow him, I pray that they, that, he would, that, or that they would be filled with the courage that would enable them to say, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to take a step of courage and trust in God, even if it's something that looks a little intimidating. The underlying issue is courage, the courage to follow Jesus. We look at whatever it is in our faith and, and isn't, isn't courageous enough to walk in faith against whatever we're facing. That, that when, we, when we walk out our faith in God and, and we start to fumble and we start to fall, it's, it's because our faith isn't courageous enough to walk in faith against other people. When people push back, push down, oh, you're one of them, you're a Christian, oh, you really believe that? Oh, you really believe that? Oh, you're one of them? Or our circumstances, God, what are you doing? God, God, what is happening? God, I, I, this isn't what I signed up for. God, this is scary. God, I feel defeated. God, I feel like, like I'm being persecuted. God, I feel like, like people are mad at me. I feel like I'm not loved. I feel, and, and we, we begin to have our circumstances become bigger than our courage that we have in, in God. When something stands in between where we are and where God wants us to be, it really comes down to, do we have the courage? that We, we see that in, in when the Israelites were coming to take the promised land and they sent the spies in and, and they, they bring the report back and the, the report that they give is all true. There's giants in the land, they're humongous. We cannot defeat them. But it's the application of that where, where the issue happens. Nothing that they said wasn't true. It was a true report. But when they started to say, and so we need to not do this. We don't, we don't have enough courage to trust God that we can go and defeat them. So we need to come up with another plan. It really comes down to do we have the courage not do we have the courage to defeat the issue, not do we have the courage to stand up, but the courage to trust that God will take care of us. God didn't call the Israelites to have the courage in themselves to be able to go defeat the giants. He's, trust me. Put your courage in me, put your trust in me, and you'll see what happens. And so it's not about, well, I just need to believe that I can do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. But we can put our trust and our courage in our God who can. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14, we're going to read a story. We're going to kind of read one story, but it's kind of two stories at the same time. We're going to read a story about Jonathan and a story about Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. He is the king. He is the head guy in charge. And Jonathan is his son. And so we're going to read a story about the king of Israel and the king's Son. We're going to read the last half of, half of 1 Samuel 13 to get the context of what's about to take place in 1 Samuel 14. So if we start reading in 1 Samuel 6, 13 at verse 16, it will say this. 
Saul and his son Jonathan, so the king of Israel and his son Jonathan, and the men with them were staying in Gibeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. So a little bit of context. If, you, if you're familiar with, with Bible and you're familiar with stories in the Old Testament, you're perhaps familiar with the name the Philistines. Um, they come up again and again and again. They are a thorn in the side of the Israelites. They were actually people that, that God had called the Israelites to drive out of the promised land, but they compromised and they, they didn't drive them out. And because they didn't do what God had called them to do, but rather tried to compromise in what God had for them, for generations and generations we continue to read about the conflict between the Israelites and the Philistines. And so in this moment, the Israelites and the Philistines are at all at war with each other. They're embroiled in a conflict. And so Jonathan and and Saul and their men are in one place and the Philistines are camped at another place called Michmash. Verse 17 will tell us that raiding parties from the Philistines are went out from the Philistines camp in three detachments. One turned toward Ophara in, in the vicinity of Shual another toward Beth Horon, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboim, facing the wilderness. Now those locations are not particularly crucial to the context of our story. We're not going to come back necessarily to those places. But what you need to know is in all of that, the Philistine army is taking ground. Is, is they're, they're, they're conquering, they're taking over parts of Israel. Israel is losing territory, is losing cities. And, and the Philistines are taking them. So in this moment, what this tells us is that the Israelites are losing this war. It's not going well. The, Israel, the, the Philistines have invaded and Israel is losing territory and cities. Next couple of verses, we're going to find out why. Verse 19 tells us, Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines said, Otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickle heads, or sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks, axes, and repointing goads. So, what is taking place here? Well, the Israelites are at war with, with the Philistines. And one of the things that the Philistines have done is that they've gone through Israel and they've destroyed all of the blacksmiths. So there's nobody who can work with metal. So there's nobody who can do the things that they need to do, whether it be swords and spears or practical things like farming tools. The only way to get those sharpened was to go to the Philistines. Not a great arrangement the, the things we need to defend ourselves from you, uh, we need you to make them for us. The things that we need to eat so that we can go to war with you, uh, we need you to, to help us with those. Now, something that is actually interesting, because I looked into this, because I thought, well, I'm sure they charged them a lot. When you look at actually how much they were charging them, it wasn't very much. So I was kind of surprised by that. I was like, well, that's nice nice for the Philistines, that they didn't actually charge them too much to do all of this. But there's this, what you might call a conflict of interest that's really keeping the Israelites under the thumb of the Philistines. That no matter what they try and do, they're at war with these people, they're taking their land, they won't let them build or create swords or spears, they're not going to let them, outside of what they've decided, even be able to farm and be able to, to cultivate food and, and all of these things. This really kept the people of Israel in a really poor position. When you, when you have to rely on the people that you're at war with to keep your tools and your weapons sharp, you're probably not in a good place. And we see the fruit of that in the next verse. We see how bad, how desperate things have become in verse 22. The the sum total of this situation, verse 22 says, So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Not great. They're not exactly coming into this from a position of strength from a position of power, from a position of confidence. See, swords and spears, it wasn't like they were rare. The Philistine army, everybody had one. 
But the Israelites, because of just this oppressive nature of what the Philistines were doing to them, not one of them had a sword. So you, you, like, you've heard the expression, like, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, well, they're bringing, like, sticks to a sword fight. There's, there's not a place to find courage. It says only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So two guys. Two, two guys had swords. The rest of the army is, well, picking up whatever they can find to, to go into battle with against like a full-fledged army. And when you look into the Philistine army, because their territory and the area that they controlled, it was actually right along the sea. And so they were actually a fairly technologically advanced um, people, at least compared to the Israelites. And so not only did they have like a basic understanding that was greater than theirs, but they were well ahead. But they weren't just well ahead because of the things they knew. They were well ahead because the Israelites were completely crushed and pressed down. They were vastly outnumbered by the Philistine army. We're, we look and we see that, that, that uh, Saul has 600 people with him. And if you read through in the text, you discover that the Philistine army was, was beyond counting. That, that it wasn't 600 against, well, 700. No, it was 600. There was thousands of chariots. There was thousands of horseback riders. And, and the, it said that the infantry was beyond counting. And so whatever army they did have, whatever of these, these 600 guys they did have, they would be going into battle with sticks and stones and whatever they could find against a much larger and technologically far superior army not great. You, if you don't know about war and all of those things, you just need to know this isn't, this isn't good. And that's why verse 1 of the next chapter seems to come out of nowhere. So this is the situation the Israelites are in. This is the moment that they're in. This is the place where they find themselves. They're, they're watching their land being taken, being conquered. They're looking around going, we don't even have a sword and the army, they're all ready to, and they're, they're killing us. And so then we flip over to chapter 14, and chapter 14 begins like this. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. So there's this incredibly difficult, challenging, hard moment in the history of Israel but yet we see this crazy faith-filled courage of Jonathan. His, his, his thought is, you know, what's the, the best defense is sometimes a good offense. So, so why don't you and me, let's go take the fight to them. Now, now remember, who had swords? Saul and Jonathan. So Jonathan wasn't talking to Saul. He's talking to his, so his armor bearer isn't his dad the king. So he goes to somebody who doesn't have a sword and says, hey, let's go fight them. And so he decides together with his armor bearer to, to mount a tiny, it's just the two of them brazen, all out assault on a Philistine camp. This is the definition of, of courage? <laughs> we, we can read this and go, this, this is insane. What, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It doesn't say, you know, and then the voice of the Lord spoke from heaven and said, Jonathan, take your armor bearer and go up. Victory shall be yours. We don't read that. We just read one day Jonathan woke up and said, you know what? We should do something about this. Let's, let's go. Jonathan knows the numbers, the strength, the technological know-how, and even swords. He knows that none of those things don't matter to God. He knows, hey, we're God's chosen people. Let's, let's, let's do something with that. Let's go make a difference. And so we have Jonathan, son of the king, and his armor bearer deciding, we have no army. We have no technology. We have no swords. Perfect. We've got them right where we want them. Let's go. But what about the king? Where's Saul? So Jonathan is concocting this crazy plan. We read at the end of the verse, he didn't tell his father, rightfully so. Don't, you know, I, dad's going to worry. You know, dad, don't do that, son. That's a bad idea. Verse 2. Saul, the king, the leader of the army, the leader of Israel, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. 
So while Jonathan is racing off up a cliff, Saul is sat under a pomegranate tree. While Jonathan wields one of two swords, the second sword, Saul's sword, is carefully put away. Jonathan has only his armor bearer to help him. Saul has 600 men with him. While Jonathan is doing something about the Philistines, Saul sits around. And then in the next verse, we get an interesting insight into Saul that's something that could be really easy to miss, but it it really gives us an, an insight into Saul and his relationship with God, and all, all of these kinds of things. So we're going to read the last half of verse 2 and then verse 3 again. So with him were about 600 men. So Saul's got all these men with him. Then it tells us that among him, or among whom, was Ajiah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Atub, or Ahitub, Son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. So what does this tell us? What, what, is, what does this mean? What does this list of names mean? Who, who are these people and why does it matter that this is where he comes from? And, and what does it mean or what does it matter that he's wearing an ephod? You know, when we read a verses like this, and unless you're really like ingrained and in doing some real deep biblical study, we can read that and we go, neat, and keep moving. Because what does it mean? You know, when they wrote 1 Samuel, they don't, and so this is who, the, and this is why we're just entrusted to know these things, but, but so often we don't know them. So let's unpack that a little bit, because we're going to learn a bunch about where Saul is at from this verse. First, it tells us that this Ajaya guy is wearing an ephod. Well, what is an ephod? Well, an ephod is something that would be worn by the high priest. So that's good, right? Saul is there with with the high priest. He's there with a man of God. He's not just sitting, resting under a pomegranate tree. They're consulting the Lord on what they should be doing. Well, while Jonathan is off running and impetuous, Saul is, is consulting with the Lord, with a man of God. Well, not exactly. See, Saul's hanging out with Ajaya, or Ahijah, and when we walk backwards through this little history that we're given here, this little mini-family history, we run into a problem with Ahijah wearing this ephod. Because he's not a high priest. He is the great-grandson of a man named Eli, who was a priest, but whom God rejected as a priest. See, his grandfather Phineas and his great-grandfather Eli, they were rejected by God as priests because of some horrible behavior on the part of Phineas and his brother. And then Eli, their father, refused to correct it. And so they were rejected as priests. So what we see in this moment is that Saul is not sitting with the man of God. He's not sitting with the high priest. He's sitting with a false prophet. He's sitting with a fake man of God. He's sitting with somebody who's not sent there by God to be God's counsel to the king. He's sent sent there with a person from a, a rejected line who's not a high priest, but who's wearing the clothes to look like a high priest. And he's got the king's ear. Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree with a false prophet. You see, sometimes when we just read verses... Like that, we just skip past them because we don't know what they mean. But when we dig a little, it's, oh, this really tells us about where Saul's at. He's not looking to God. He's looking to hear what he wants to hear. He's, he's got this, this prophet, this priest sitting next to him who's not hearing from God, who's probably telling him, you know, Saul, you look good under that pomegranate tree. Pomegranates really bring out your eyes. We should stay here. This is nice. This is a good place to be. We're safe. Yes, yes, they're taking our land, but you're good. 
You're good. Don't worry. No, don't. We, we don't need to worry about that. But while Saul's there, surrounded by, by people who are not telling him what God wants him to do, we read this in, in verse, verse 6. And again, there's a word in here that I want to highlight for you again. As Jonathan prepares to go to battle with his armor bearer, he says this. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. And I want to highlight for you the next word. Perhaps. Perhaps what? Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Let's stop and think about that for just one, one moment. Saul and his sword, or not Saul, Jonathan and his swordless armor bearer have decided to go take the fight to the Philistines. Under what assurance are they going to do this? Not an ounce. Jonathan is, perhaps God will save us. Let's go take the fight to the Philistines. Maybe we won't die. He's not, there's, he, he's standing on faith, but not faith. It's because God told me he would lead us to victory. I got a word from the Lord. This is going to be, it's going to be amazing. He said, we need to go. Let's go take the fight to them. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. But then look at the stunning statement of faith that he makes next. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. He says, we, we can go take this fight to the Philistines because there's no reason we can't win. If God was to want to save us, there's no reason we can't, there's no reason. Perhaps God will save us because nothing can hinder him from doing that, whether there's lots of us or, or none of us. Perhaps as, as Jonathan's reflecting, he's thinking about Gideon's army. About how God kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking this army down smaller and smaller and smaller until it was too f small to fight. Because they didn't need to fight. They won before there was a battle. Or perhaps he's remembering the, the story of, of Shamgar. And this, or, uh, I didn't write the verse down. Uh, verse, in Judges chapter 3, we can, we can read about this. There's just this one short little chunk of verse of, 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 of this man named Shamgar. And he defeats 600 of these same Philistines with a sharp stick. And we read, and we, and we think, Jonathan, maybe Jonathan says to his, his armor bearer, perfect, you've got a sharp stick. Let's go do that. We can, God did 600. We can go do this. Let's go. Or perhaps he was thinking about the promises that God had made to his people, like in Leviticus chapter 20, or chapter 26, when he would say, you will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. If five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. God had made a promise to his people that this is what, if they trusted in God, this is what it would look like. And so I said, we can trust in that God. Let's go do this. We talked about this a bit last week. Jonathan didn't just take courage from the fact, well, God used to do all of these kinds of things. This wasn't just history for Jonathan that like, wow, we can have hope because look at what he used to do for us. But instead, this wasn't something that, that God did. This was something that God can do again. And God could do it now through Jonathan in this moment. So we have a king sitting under a pomegranate tree waiting, doing nothing. And we have Jonathan trusting in the Lord and his promises. And when we set Jonathan up against Saul, we, we see that Saul's carefulness, oh, that, or there, was the, there was the verse on, on the, the fellow, I, Shamgar, I just put him in the wrong order. 
So now you can read it. But uh, we see that Saul's carefulness isn't godly wisdom. Saul's carefulness is cowardice. But it's not somehow, well, of course we're not going to go and do that. It's a terrible plan. See, it can be easy to confuse the two. Especially when God calls us to risk something. Especially when God calls us to step out in faith. When, when God is calling us to trust him. When, when our army doesn't even have any swords. That when God is calling us to step out in faith and do something that potentially comes at a cost, it's really easy to think, I'm just going to be really careful. I'm just going to be really, really safe. Because I, I need to know for sure that it's God. And we can couch our, our cowardice in being careful. We can say, I, I don't want to, I, I just want to make sure that this is what God has for me. So, so I'm just going to take it slow. And, and we can read the, the stories of Peter jumping out of the boat to walk on water. And we think, man, you should have been more careful. Maybe he should have. But maybe I shouldn't be such a coward either. Maybe I should be more willing to jump out of the boat and see what happens and trust God that, that he can actually do what he said he's going to do. I've, I've talked about this before, that you know one of my, my favorite stories in all of Scripture is when Jesus heals the blind man born from birth because he spits and he makes mud and he rubs it on, on the guy's eyes. And, and I've said, you know, if that's how God has called you to be healed, my friends, you're not getting healed. Because I don't want to spit and rub my spit and mud all over your face. Because I'm a coward. That's why. It's because what if God doesn't come through? And now you've got my spit and mud all over your face and you're not healed. What if God doesn't come through? It's, it's, I, I, I'm just being careful. We just walked through a global pandemic. Rubbing spit all over our faces is not the way forward. However you feel about whatever you feel about COVID, at least we can hopefully agree, let's not rub spit on each other's faces. But at the heart of it, actually, it's because I'd be scared of what would happen if God didn't do anything. It can be very easy to think we're being careful, that we just want to be sure we can just look and see all these reasons why this might not be God. And we can lean into that rather than trust and believe that it just might be God. If you, if you sat down with Saul and Jonathan and you made a pros and cons list of let's go attack them versus let's sit under the pomegranate tree. There's nothing on the pro list. There's no reason to go and attack these people other than Maybe God will help us. Every reason that you would have would be to stay put. We can convince ourselves we're just being careful. But really we're, we're sitting under a pomegranate tree listening to a message not from God. And we end up a coward. Missing out on what God wants to do through us. If we read the, the few more verses in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we see that Jonathan's courage was well placed. If we start reading in verse 11, it says, both of them, so, so Jonathan and his armor bearer, two guys, one sword, showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews, they're crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. They're assuming there's a whole army there in the, in the mountains waiting to attack them. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So they, they begin to climb up and charge. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed kill and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. 
And if we jump down to verse 20, we see that Saul and the army that's with him, the 600 guys with him, they begin to take note. Hey, something's happening over there. Something's going on. The, the army seems like something crazy is happening. And verse 20 will tell us, then Saul and all, of the, all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and who had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites. So as they're losing this war, they're not just losing cities and they're not just losing territory. People are defecting. Israelites are saying, we're with them now. We're on their team now. And these people are looking and going, we're back with you. We're back with you. We're on your team again. Went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So they're, they're, they're defeating the Philistines. The Philistines are defeating themselves. And the Israelite army is growing. Verse 22. When all the Israelites who, who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined in the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. What a story. What a victory. From one guy with a sword and one guy whose job it was to carry the sword, God sends this, this victory where not only do they push back the Philistine army, not only do they reclaim some ground, but their army grew. They went into battle and came out with more soldiers. That's not how this is supposed to go. That's, that's not how wars go. If you've never understood war, you don't usually come out with more than you went in with. But because of, of Jonathan and his armor bearer's courage, God moved mightily. Now, there's another, another little warning here for us in, in this. Just If we go back to, to Saul for, for just a moment. Because Saul saw what God was doing. And even though he wanted no part of it, once he saw what God was doing, he's like, I want in. I'm here too. Look, God, I'm showing courage. I'm here too. I'm here. I did it. I came. And sometimes when we stand back in our carefulness, maybe our coward, cowardice, and we see that God begins to do something, we want to rush, rush in and be like, I was here all along. From, from the very, I've been a part of this from the very beginning-ish. And Saul rushed in saying, I, I, isn't this great? Look at the victory God has given us. But God had given them the victory long before Saul had ever shown up. We don't want to miss out what, uh, what God has for us because we're worried about what God might not do. Jonathan stepped out in courage and through his courage to step out, God brought this miraculous victory to Israel. See, there was lots of reasons to not have courage if you were looking the wrong way. If you looked at the Philistines, the army was much bigger. They were technologically superior in every way. They were already winning. And Israel was on the run. They actually had swords. If you looked at the Philistines, there was no reason to have courage. The situation, the circumstance, as long as what you were looking at was the Philistines would give you no reason for courage, and that's what Saul was looking at. But that's not what Jonathan was looking at. See, the reason for courage wasn't to look at the circumstance. The reason for courage was to look at God. He was looking at his God who had promised victory. He was looking at his God who had done it before, and he was looking at his God who could do it again. See, we're not called to be fools. We're not called to be stupid. We're not called to, to be dumb and just do all kinds of crazy things because, hey, God will save us. But when was the last time you did something crazy for Jesus? 
When was the last time you stepped out in faith and even some of the people around you went, really? When was the last time that we, we looked at our circumstances and said, we good? No matter how bad they are, we're good. We're good because God can do it. I'm not afraid. It's just me and one guy. We're fine. Or has carefulness become a spiritual trap? Have we convinced ourselves that we're being so careful that maybe we're becoming a little bit cowardice? Cowards? Cowards. Maybe we've become a lot cowards. Our confidence, or is our confidence in the Lord giving us courage to live our lives in faith? When we, when we do, or when we look, do we see the reasons why things are scary? We look, what if God doesn't come through? What if I do this and God was never there in it from the beginning? What if I step out in faith and God doesn't meet me? What if I, I, I just saw Peter step out of the boat and he got to walk? What if I tried it too, but what if God doesn't meet me? What if, what if, what if? Why something looks like it can't happen? Why something looks like it won't happen? Why we can't? Why it won't? Why it's impossible? Well, friends, in response to all of these things, we can read in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? What should we say about all of these reasons why we shouldn't have courage? What should we say in response to all of the reasons why life is scary? All of the reasons why life is hard? All of the reasons why it's far better for me to just stay safe, stay careful under my pomegranate tree than risk anything by stepping out? What can we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to do one more scripture reading together this morning. We're going to read just the last half of that verse together. And I want to invite you to, to proclaim this, to speak this, to, if you're in your mind thinking of times and situations where God has maybe called you to step out in faith and you didn't, or step out in faith and you're not, or step out in faith and you're not going to, I want to just invite all of us to, to speak these words together as like a prophetic declaration over my life, over your life, over our church, over our families, over our jobs, over our marriages, over our situations in life, over our health, over all the areas of our life where we need faith. And I'm going to invite you to read this with me as a prophetic statement that God can do what he said he's going to do. Let's read this together. If God is for us, who can be against us? If we want to see amazing things from God, sometimes we have to risk amazing things for God. Friends, if you're able, would you, would you stand with me as we, we close our service? I know it's summer. I know it's Canada Day long weekend. I know that, that all of our minds and lives are starting to switch into summer mode. And I know that with that, the one thing you don't want is a to-do list. Nobody wants to go into summer with like, oh, and here's another thing I got to do. But friends, let's live with courage this summer. Let's step out in faith this summer. Let's trust God this summer. God has big things in store for your life this summer. In store for your ministry, in store for your family, in store for miracles for your life. But if we just sit back and hope that God does something without us, we might miss out on some of the things that God has for us. And so I invite you, if you're sitting under a pomegranate tree and you like what you hear because it's making you comfortable, 
this summer make a choice to stand up and say, I'm going to try this because perhaps God might do something. And we'll see together what God has. Let's live with faith in our God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you today as a people so ready to be comfortable. God, so much of our life is spent and dedicated to figuring out how to make our lives more comfortable. So much of our life is spent, I gotta make more money so we can get another house, so we can, so we can buy nicer furniture, so I can get a more comfy bed, so I can, you know, we can live life with a quest to be more comfortable. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prevent, would stop, would reclaim the parts of our lives where we've allowed our desire to come for comfort to bleed into our relationship with you. God, would you help us to reject comfort in the face of what God has for us? God, would you help us to reject the, the need to be careful with our faith? Would you help us to, to not be so, want to be so careful with our faith that we actually stop living with faith? But God, would you help us to step forward into the uncomfortable? Step forward into a place where, where we, we, like Jonathan, are, are not in a place where we're, this is going to be fine, but we're just trusting Father, I thank you that as we, we remembered earlier in our service the sacrifice that you made on the cross. God, I thank you that you rejected comfort for me. That you rejected the ease of just letting us spend eternity apart from you. God, that you rejected comfort on our behalf, but you stepped down, you stepped down out of heaven, that, that you, you took on the form of a human, you emptied yourself of your godliness, you, you stepped into us. God, you became so uncomfortable for me. God, please don't allow me to insist that I be comfortable for you. But God, allow us to live with courage. God, fill us with courage. Fill us with a faith that believes that we have a God that can do. God, don't allow us to, to begin to think that somehow, well, because God hasn't, he won't. Because you did and you will. And God, I pray that in our lives, we would just live with such a front-facing, courageous heart that says that God can do this and I'm gonna believe it. God, help us to have a faith like Jonathan. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I speak the name of Jesus over you. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. In Jesus' name.
the fear inside would flee. 